This is from Jeremiah 20, verses 7 through 13. O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and, and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, or speak any more in his name. That his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. For I heard many mocking fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, Perhaps he could be induced. Then we will prevail against him, and he will take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, you will test the righteous and see the mind and heart. Let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of the evildoers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. It's good to be with you. Uh, I do spend most of my, my Sundays at uh, our Lake campus, uh, but I've been able to recently kind of travel around and worship at all of our campuses, uh, occasionally to get to, to preach at them. And, and let me just say, and this is not something I say to all the campuses, uh, when I'm not at a lake, this is my favorite place. Uh, I just love Trail Ridge Middle School, right? Uh, brings back some memories. No, seriously, I love, I love being here. And certainly, I mean, Tim and the team here, I always feel so ministered when I come and sit and listen and be part of that. Uh, but also, I mean, coming here because so many of you, and, and like percentages are changing. I'm looking out, there's fewer and fewer each time I'm here of people that I recognize, which is awesome because many of you are coming uh, from, from elsewhere, right? But so many of you started at Olathe, uh, and so it's just fun. Whenever I'm here, it feels like a little bit of a family reunion. I know you, I, I love you, I still miss you. Uh, we're really, really, really glad that you're here. Um, but I've, I've just come to realize, it's been three years, right? And I still have this little tiny ache uh, for all of you. And uh, yeah, I hope that's not too weird. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's a delight to, to be with you and uh, to be able to with you. Um, I bring uh, greetings from all of Christ's community. It's, it's such a privilege to be a part. It's, it's an unusual thing, right? A church spread out five times across our city. Uh, the ways in which God has positioned us to serve Him and to serve our communities all over the city. Uh, and so thanks for your faithfulness. Thanks for being a part of that with us. Thanks for uh, taking the risk of, of doing something new uh, in, a, in a place, starting, starting a new church in a new, in a new spot. Uh, it's really, really uh, exciting to be a part of it. My family's here. As, as uh, Tim mentioned, I got a picture. Uh, they're also over there. If you just want to stare at them, they'll love that. Um, yeah, so my wife, Kelly, I've uh, been married for 15 years. Uh, she continues to be the best human I've ever met, uh, truthfully. Uh, nobody even comes close. So she's pretty amazing. And David is Ken. And so that's them. Um, love, love having them here uh, as well. So let me, let me pray for us uh, again, and we'll just open God's word together. God, I'm so grateful for your church. For your church here in this space. And for what you're doing through these, these folks. But also for your church spread out across our city. And the many, the many churches that we partner with who aren't Christ community, that we get to continue to work with. And even as Steve prayed for the first Church of 
communities across all time and history, gathering regularly every Sunday to remember the unity of Israel. So God, I pray that you give us that hope and that joy this morning. Help us to learn once again to be one mind. Well, on June 3rd, uh, 2017, just a few months ago, uh, the, the impossible happened. Uh, and I, I still remember, like, I was driving home from the office, and I heard the, the story on the news, and, like, I, I had to race home to be able to Google some of the images. Uh, Alex Honnold had, had just become the first person ever to free solo climb El Capitan. So El Capitan, right there, like, you might recognize that from your Mac. Um, uh, that, that, it's actually a, a real mountain uh, in Yosemite, uh, and you know, lots of people. This is like one of the famed places about three thousand feet of sheer granite. People come from all over the world. The best climbers in the world they come to, to do this, and they all use you know, ropes and harnesses and, and safety gear and all that. And still, some of them die. But on June third of this year, Alex did it without any ropes, with no safety gear, no protection. He just sort of strolled up the side of the mountain. Uh, let's watch. Anybody else like, like just catch your breath and watching that for a second? Okay, so I'm guessing here uh, most of you are experiencing two dominant emotions right now. Um, outside of fear, I guess that's one, just panic. But like on the on the one hand, like I see that, and I'm just, I'm amazed, right? Aren't you? I mean, you're just kind of blown away by his courage, his endurance, his strength to do that. Uh, on the other hand, I kind of want to punch him in the face, right? Like you idiots! Like what? What are you, like, how irresponsible could you be to do something like that? And I, and I think, like, when it comes to, like, people who take real risk in life, those are kind of the emotions we have, right? Like, on the one hand, I, I kind of want to be him, or, or that kind of person who, who steps out and does amazing things, but on the other hand, I just rather stay on the couch, right? Like, I am, I am not a risk taker at all. And it's one thing when it comes to you know, climbing some stupid mountain risk in your life. Then I got to thinking, I mean, this, this life with Jesus, doesn't, doesn't he require at least some risk? In fact, if you, if you want to, to know what someone really thinks about Jesus, just ask him this question. You're not going to like it, I don't like it. Just ask him this question. How willing are you to risk everything important Some of you might recall we, we did a, a survey of our congregations uh, this past year. An outside organization that came and uh, we, many of you filled that out, right, to sort of to assess the overall health of our, of our church and see if we're actually accomplishing what we're trying to accomplish in people's lives. And that's, that's one of their key questions. They say, if you, if you ask somebody this, this will tell you really what's going on 
in the heart about Jesus. Are you, are you willing to risk everything for him? To give, to give your life away. That was on the survey. How did we do on that one? Not great. Not truthful. And I might have been part of the problem. Because on the, on the one hand, again, we, we admire faith-filled risk-takers. Mother Teresa, Martin Luther, were in awe. Good for them. Are you sure, Jesus? You can have everything. You can have it all, I promise, right? Uh, just don't put my family in harm's way. Uh, don't require too much money. Well, I'm thinking about time. Or put me in an uncomfortable spot, right? Or make me feel awkward or ask me to do anything hard. And, like, as soon as, as soon as you begin thinking about it, like, the, the list of exceptions, man, it's just kind of, we could be here all day, couldn't we? And yet somehow, when I read Jeremiah, no, I don't think God is calling me to climb El Capitan. Right, Kelly? Not allowed? I've tried that. It's not going to work. When I read Jeremiah, I can't help but wonder, what does Jeremiah know that I don't know? Or that, I, that I've forgotten, that I'm, that I'm, somehow, that I'm somehow missing? Because here, here's what I walk away with as we, as we study Jeremiah. You just can't miss this. Life with God is risky. With the real God, anyway. If you're, if you're really with him, not easy, not comfortable, not safe, life with this God, the true God, is going to be risky. So are you willing to risk everything? I mean, would you do this if he asked you to? Don't worry, he's not asking us to climb any mountains. What he has for us, his people, is so much better. Sounds fun, right? Well, if you have a Bible, turn to, to Jeremiah chapter 20. And if you've been with us at any of our campuses, right, we've been studying Jeremiah in the last month or so. Uh, and, and Jeremiah was a prophet during one of the worst times in all of Israel's history. We've, we've unpacked some of that along the way. It's just awful. The nation is a mess. Judgment is coming. The people, they're not listening to anybody. Jeremiah, he just keeps preaching, though, right? Bless his heart over and over and over again. Repent. Turn from your sins. Like, for 40 years, this guy preaches. And maybe two people. Maybe two people listen to him in 40 years. And, and last week, in particular, we saw Jeremiah's he's pleading with God. He's He's heartbroken, he's frustrated, he's disappointed, he feels the pain all around, it's not working out like he wanted it to. He feels the agony of God's call on his life. And this week it just keeps getting worse. And so remember now, if you've been with us, Jeremiah, he's also a priest. And one of his, one of his co-workers is this guy named Kashur, uh, probably his, his priest supervisor. I kind of picture him a little bit like this. You know, Michael Scott, old best boss. That's this guy, Kashur. Uh, and he hears, he hears Jeremiah's latest sermon. This is verse 1, again in chapter 20. Now, Kashur the priest, the son of Amir, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, the temple, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, the destruction that's coming upon Jerusalem for their sins. Then Kashur beat Jeremiah, the prophet, and put him in his dogs. You're picturing this, like Jeremiah, he's at the temple, he's doing his job, he's a priest, we're crying out loud, he's, he's preaching, and a fellow priest, like a man of God, beats him, 
puts him in this box, you know, something, something like this, right? Kind of gives the image. So he for 24 hours, leaves him there, you know, so that all of his, all of his coworkers, all of his neighbors, everybody gets to see Jeremiah's humiliating and shame. Jeremiah hears them all around him. Look at verse 10. This is part of Jeremiah's agony before God. This is right. There in the slots, right in the temple, whispering. Terror is on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. Say all my close friends watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. So laughing, mocking, plotting. Friends like these, right? Again, Jeremiah prays outraged. He's taking the risk. Yes, God, fine, I'll do anything. And now it feels like he's plummeting through the air about a safety net. Life with God, risky, dangerous, hazardous. And Jeremiah, your life with God will be anything but comfortable. Anything, anything but comfortable. And please, like, we can't miss this, especially, like, you've seen this through, through Jeremiah, and, and sometimes it's so easy to think, isn't it, for us? Well, if I'm with Jesus... A Christian life should be should be happier, right? Easier. Things should things should come my way. He's God of the universe for crying out loud. We can so easily begin to believe, man, it should be less risky, shouldn't it? The reality is, you can do everything God asks you to do. You can be faithful to whatever God has called you to. You can be as righteous as Jeremiah. And still be profoundly disappointed. Frustrated by your circumstances. Beat up by the people closest to you. And violently opposed. And like the early Christians going to the lions, those Steve just reminded us of those prayers. I all ask the Lord that you protect that government. And people in those parts of the world, like, they know the risk. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorites, the, uh, the Oxford professor who moved from atheism to Christianity. He once said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of pork would be bad. That's a kind of alcohol I'm doing here. <laughs> if you want a religion, he says, to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Let me just ask, can I address them? Is my faith too comfortable? Does it come too easy? Are you willing to take risks? There was a, a pretty painful blog last week uh, from the Gospel Coalition. The title was Eight Signs Your Christianity is Too Comfortable. Let me just summarize a few of them. The writer says, Your Christianity is too comfortable. If your friends or co-workers would be surprised to learn you're a church-going Christian. Your Christianity is too comfortable if there's never any friction between your faith and your political party. It's too comfortable if there's no connection between what you learn on Sunday and how you work on Monday. Your, your Christianity is too comfortable if no one at your church ever annoys you, meaning you're all 
we're all the same, right? Did you comfortable if you never feel challenged with only a fine? I could, I could add to that, we could all add to that, right? It's too comfortable if you pack the same way as everybody else. It's too comfortable if, if we come to, to be served instead of to, to serve or to, to receive instead of give. You've never been laughed at or pushed aside for your beliefs. Life with the real God is supposed to be risky. Don't get too comfortable. Okay, so Jeremiah. Again, there he is, praying, praying to God. And he's called the weeping prophet for a reason. Again, it's heated, it's painful. He basically cries out, God, life with you should come with a warning label, right? Have I, have I been deceived? Like, you said I'd be a strong tower. Did you lie to me? Jeremiah is seriously thinking about it. He just wants to be done already. So he prays. In verse 9, though, he, he knows he can't. He says, if I say, Jeremiah is talking, if I say, I will not mention him, God, or, or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in and I cannot. But, uh, it's like he said, I, I want to quit, but whenever I even consider my heart burst into flames, or there's a fire in my bones, and I just can't even end. felt that way. Like knowing, knowing what God has called you to, and yet wanting to just throw it aside and give up. And that relationship is just too messy, right? Your marriage, the work. You know, you know, God has put you there. Maybe you're just feeling this. Or maybe, maybe you're even in a situation like Jeremiah, and you know that there's something that needs to be said. Maybe it's forgiveness that you need to offer or ask for. Or something you need to confront. Or something you need to encourage or, or tell about, uh, about Jesus. Or maybe you just part of yourself that you've kept hidden, right? And you want to keep it down. And you know that if you do open your mouth, you're going to open yourself up to risk. It can go terribly. Maybe, maybe you can feel that fire in your bones. We, we see it in Jeremiah's life, right? Yes, his life is, is risky, but a life with God, it just can't give up. Like, he can't do it. Like, he, like he wants to, right? There, it's in him. He's like, I'm done, God. And yet, there's this, there's this fire, there's this, this drive. And like, this is part of the risk, and you can't, you just can't let it go. And so he keeps preaching. Reminds me of a bit of Martin Luther, uh, this past Tuesday, marked the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Uh, when this, uh, this nobody, lowly monk, right, stood up against the power of Rome for the sake of the gospel. I mean, the church at that time was, was deeply corrupt, I mean, profoundly wicked. Not unlike the temple in Jeremiah's own day, right? Similar to that. And yet, Martin, he just couldn't, he couldn't be quiet. The message of God was was too beautiful, too powerful, so Martin Gratian had his, had his famous trial, right? And he, picture this, like this, again, 500 years ago, he's wondering as he's on trial for having, like for proclaiming the gospel, if he's going to be burned at the stake by the corrupt religious powers. And there in that moment, refusing to recant, he, he says these words, he says, I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other. So help 
everything, and yet still he kept talking. And imperfect though he was, he literally changed the world, right? And you and I, we owe a debt of gratitude to this, this German monk, right, from 500 years ago. And believe me, I know for many of you, there are, there are times you want to give up. Whatever it is, right, you have your list, I have mine, and you want, you want to give up. I can tell you for me in those darkest moments, I, you know, I sometimes fantasize about figuring something else out, finding a different career, like just being done pastoring, preaching, or, or, or whatever, right? I didn't study Kelly this past week. I feel like I'm in the mood for a midlife crisis, you know? You ever had one of those weeks, right? Sometimes I want to quit. It's like a fire in the bones. Where, where are you tempted to give up? Be done with your own towel. Have you talked to him about it? Jeremiah, that's where Jeremiah goes with his doubts, his frustrations, his questions. He told him, what is God asking you to say? It's a life of God just saying, can I, can I give up? Okay, all right. Fine, Nathan, but why? I mean, people, people die mouth-clapping all the time. If, if, if people with Jesus, if they death Persecution, or at the very least for us, like mockery or, or discomfort. Like, if my, if my reputation is on the line, or my family, or my money, or my success, or my comfort, or, or whatever, then why? Why is it? Why would I do that? I'm glad you asked. Because, because you're right. Like, if it's just the thrill of the climb, or the, the glory of somehow making it to the top of it, then it's not enough. I mean, yes. Alex, we're all super impressed, right? Get your head examined. Don't, don't do that. And what's really so important for us to remember, for Jeremiah here, it's not risk simply for risk's sake, right? It's risk for the good of a world that is so desperate and broken. And for the glory of a God who's so beautiful and And if it's with Really, all that risky after all, is it? Is it? You know, sure, on one hand, you, of course it is. It's hazardous, dangerous, and life with God can cost you everything. Don't be surprised if it does. But if you're His, then what do we really have to lose anyway? This is, this is the only way Jeremiah can make it. We go, back, go back to the text. Like, text. He, he knew. A life with God has to cling to this hope. A hope outside of the circumstances, a hope beyond what we can even like, grab onto. So I don't mean hope like a pipe dream. That's kind of how we use it, like a, a, a silly wish that's somewhere out there. The biblical hope is a rooted confidence, like an assurance that somehow God, God is still God. And this hope for Jeremiah is everything. This is why Jeremiah can say, right in the midst of his despair, verse, verse 11, he says, But the Lord is with me. As a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. Let's get down to, to verse 13. Sing to the Lord, he says. Can you believe that? Praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of me from the hand of evildoers. In the midst of Jeremiah's heartache, 
He hasn't lost hope. So let me just ask one more question. Is your hope big enough, sure enough to embrace that kind of risk? Is your hope big enough? Because if it's not, then of course we're not going to. We're not going to do it. We're not going to risk everything. We're not going to risk anything for this God that we cannot see. Is our hope big enough? And I can't help but think of the huge risk. So many of you took three years ago, right? To start a to start a new church in this in this place right here, right? That you you it was a risk to to step out of a place that was comfortable and familiar and predictable, right? To do something hard. I know that there have been ups and downs along the way, right? There's still struggles and frustrations. And the journey is not it's not over. As I stand right here, I see so many new faces. People who have a home because you're willing to take that risk. And God's not done yet either, right? I mean, think about that. Just, just imagine that like, people are going to encounter Jesus in this community because you were willing to step out. People will move from death to life. Marriages will be restored. Families renewed. Sins will be confessed. Relationships will be mended. Wholeness will be chased out. First Jeremiah, bless his heart. I mean, he never really got to see any success. Like, you know that, right? I mean, it's just, it's just terrible for him. It just gets worse. Like, he does this 40 years. He preaches. You know, his whole life is a mess. He's completely alone. And then finally, Jerusalem's destroyed and he dies. You know, Did he go into the grave wondering how things Did anything happen? But what, what if he could be with us right now? We could look back. I mean, 2,600 years later, like what, what would Jeremiah see? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that like the wounds would still feel fresh. Like the blows of Pashur's fist, the betrayal of his close friends, like those things don't just pass, right? Those things kind of heal. But what else would he see? I can't imagine the, the wonder for him to realize that his own words of turmoil and pain and agony as well as hope have been translated into nearly every language on the planet. That there are still millions of people, maybe tens of millions, who gather around his words looking for hope. What would that be like? Or the fact that everybody who opposed him, like the, the enemies, the, the kings, the rulers, the corrupt religious leaders, his friends, they've all been forgotten. And yet people still today name their kids Jeremiah after him. And even more than that, Jeremiah's ultimate view from the mountaintop. Because Jeremiah, his greatest prediction is, is yet to come. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. But Jeremiah saw off in the distance that God was going to make a new covenant with people, a new, a new promise, a, a, new, a new way of, of a hope for them. He saw that off in the distance. But now from our vantage point, he said, yes, that's already been enacted. But there was another Jewish man who was deeply misunderstood, rejected, mocked, despised, who wanted to give up, let this cup pass, but kept going anyway. 
who, who would embrace the greatest risk of all, entering his own broken world for his own rebellious people, most of whom would reject him, and end up putting him up on a cross to kill him. The misery of his death, the despair of the tomb, when we talk about failure. Jeremiah would also say that the grave could not finish, that death could not keep him down. Jesus embraced the risk, but he, he overcame so, so that you and I, like if we're with him, we have nothing left to fear, not really. Nothing left to hide, nothing, nothing left to prove, not if we're with this God who defeats death. Yes, life with him is going to be risky. Never forget it. It can cost you everything. But with him, this God, isn't it worth it? Lord Jesus, even as I speak these words, I know what a coward I am. And how much I love comfort and safety and peace. So God, would you convict my heart, would you convict us? Not, not, to, not to be foolish, not to take risks just for risk's sake, but out of love for a broken world, and out of the desires and glory of the God so God, empower us, strengthen us. God, I pray that you would give us that hope here in the this when we need that. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Well, that new covenant that Jeremiah witnessed, right, from a distance, that he foresaw, was enacted on the night of Jesus' betrayal. When Jesus took bread and broke it, right, and said, this is my body for you. He also took the cup and said, so this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so as we approach the Lord's Supper this morning, let me just give a couple of instructions uh, for those of you who maybe are new or newer with us. Uh, first of all, if you're not a Christian, we're really, really glad that you're here. Um, we hope you'll take this time to pray, to reflect. In fact, there's people in the back, for any of, any of us who want prayer, uh, people who'd love to be able to pray with you. And just maybe wrestle with this question, could there, could there be a God who risked everything for you? And if you, if you are a Christian, you don't have to be a member here or anything like that to participate with us. Um, we're glad, glad to have you with us. Uh, feel free to join us. We've got two stations in the back, gluten-free over on, on this side. Make your way to one of those tables. We'll, we'll gather you in groups of four to six because this is a family meal. Uh, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and then partake together. And friends, what a beautiful thing. We get to taste and see and smell and feel the good news of Jesus. The God who risked everything, who gave everything, paid the ultimate cost to rescue us. So as we come, let us come for hope, for joy, but also as a, as a declaration saying yes to this God. Yes. I'm willing to risk it all. Or at least God help me to be willing to risk it all. And so whenever you're ready, please come.